God is good, isn't he? Isn't he always good? Always. I had an episode, uh, and, and my back does this from time to time, but my back went out this week, and um, uh, I've abused it for what I do for a living and what I do for play, so it's just part of this body that I have, and I believe in the Lord that it's, never, it's not going to stay like that forever, but uh, anyway, I had an episode this week and just kind of put me out and locked me bent over, but I just... Um, I feel like the Lord needs to be praised anyway. He deserved to be praised. And, uh, and I, I did all the right things. I prayed and I said, Lord, I thank you that I am healed. And I even late, I knew there were prayers going out for me, but I laid my own hands on me. And your Lord, your word says that, that uh, we lay our hands on the sick, right? And they will recover. And, uh, and so I was believing him um, that I'm going to recover. And, and, uh, and this was a few days ago. And, and um, I'm much better today. But in the meantime, I said, but you deserve, in the meantime, to be praised and to be honored, to be worshipped. I'm not going to praise you when things are amazing. I'm in pain right now. This is a dis- I'm in incredible discomfort right now, but you deserve to be praised. And, and I feel like that's what we need to do, church. I feel like that's what the Lord, um, it'll really break us free from this world having power over you. And the enemy wants you to uh, look at... He wants you to look at your surroundings. He wants you to focus on this life. And we talked last week about Peter right out on the water. Remember, Peter got out on the water, and when he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he walked on the water. Isn't that an amazing story? He walked upon the waters. But then when Jesus, it says, when Jesus, he's still standing there, you know, he, he's looking at Peter. Jesus is not taking his eyes off of Peter, but Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the waves and began to look at the wind. And it says he began to sink. That's what the word says. And so, you know, the enemy wants us to be looking at the surroundings. He wants you to be looking at the circumstances. He wants you to be focused on what you're feeling. He wants you to be focused on, you know, what, what seems like what is real. You know, the wind and the waves, they're real in this realm, but Jesus is not natural, is he? Jesus was supernatural. And, you know, the men of God, the men and the women of God that uh, are the uh, pillars in our word, they were not natural, and they were not supermen, okay? It wasn't their ability, but they were also not natural. They were supernatural. They walked in the supernatural. They trusted God when it didn't make sense to trust him, and God delivered uh, them every single time. And I want to just, just quickly bring you, I want to continue on this theme, and let me just read this verse that we've been kind of anchoring from every week And I just want you to uh, look with me. I want to read this verse first, Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll just read uh, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2 says, we do this, everybody say, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. It says, we keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured. So verse 1 tells us to endure. 
verse 2 is telling us, keep your eyes on him. He is not only the power for your life, but he's also the example. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. In the NIV, I love um, their translation because it tells us to fix your eyes on Jesus. That's going to be our answer. That's going to be the only way you are going to make it in this life. See, this is what happens. If you want to live in this world, you can be in this world, and you are under the world's power. And I'm going to get into that today. You are under its power and under its system. But you are not of this world. Say, I'm not of this world. When you come to Christ, you are literally, uh, they were confused and so confused that they missed Jesus, they misunderstood Jesus because uh, he said, you must be born again. Remember, they got confused by that. What does that mean? But when we come to Christ, you are literally reborn. Your old life is dead. Say, I'm dead and I'm new. So, you know, they, they said to Jesus, how, does, how can a grown man go back into his mother's womb and become reborn it doesn't make sense and it's because he was talking about a spiritual thing that happens it's not a physical thing your physical body whether you are a man or a woman whether you're young or you're old is going to look almost the same although some people when they come to christ the the, the wrinkles the heaviness the frowns they do there is a, a natural thing that does go away right somebody who's really sorry and 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 and, and uh, always down when they come to christ uh, when they'll let Jesus do his work inside them, you do see their natural appearance change. I've seen it. But uh, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about a spiritual birth. In fact, uh, really what the word uh, says is that you weren't even born at all, right? You didn't even have life at all. You weren't even alive before Christ. In fact, when someone goes to hell, they are not even necessarily being sent there by God as if uh, he says, okay, I have to make a choice. I'm going to send you there. They, they actually just continued on a path that they were already born on. You were already born in sin. You were born in sin. Uh, we've talked about this before, and I don't have to convince you, but a child does not have to be taught how to be bad. A child has to be taught to be good. Come on, you guys agree with me. You have to teach a child what is right, but you don't have to teach a child how to be bad. That is their natural instinct. The natural instinct is to sneak. I mean, a little two-year-old is hiding things, steal. That's mine, mine. They want to take. They want to steal. They want to sneak. They want to hide. That's their natural instinct, your natural human instinct. That's not God's design. That was because of the fall. When Adam and Eve, when they broke off from God's kingdom, right, that's what happened, and God made a way, thank you, Lord, that he made a way, and then ultimately through Jesus Christ, Amen, right? That's why we're here today. But nonetheless, there was a natural thing. Your natural body was born in sin. You are born a sinner. You don't become a sin. You don't begin to sin. You are already a sinner. And so when Jesus comes to you and, uh, well, you know, he, he introduces himself to you and you have the choice to either continue being a sinner, which is already dictated for you. The path is already laid out. Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. So when we choose to accept Jesus' offer of life, when we choose to accept it, 
and we say, yes, Lord, I repent, forgive me of my sins, and I believe your word, I want to know you, I want to be saved, I want to live in heaven forever with you, and I want you to do a work in me in this life. When we do that as believers, right, we've all done that when we came to Christ. When you do that, something supernatural begins to happen, and uh, the natural man is still living in this earth, but the spirit man is immediately placed within Christ at the right hand of the Father. Immediately. But then this body has to walk out the spiritual thing that has happened. You can't be any more saved than you are on day one, than you are on the last day of your life here on earth. You are no more or less saved. What you are is more or less like Christ, depending on if you let Christ work inside you. Amen. So the enemy, he sees what's happening too. You know he has a plan and a purpose for you, just as God has a plan and a purpose for you. I don't really have to convince you because the very things that we start doing as young people is we start to dream. And I'm not going to come here and start crushing your dreams and telling you your dreams are from Satan. But a natural instinct in a human being is that we start to dream and we want to dream big and we want to become and we want to be, right? And, and again, that's not, that's not from the devil, but the, when Jay-Z uh, became a billionaire, it wasn't because of God. Okay, so my point is, <laughs> or 50 Cent said, get rich or die trying. That wasn't God. Okay, so when they hit a place of success, if they had, if they, if we were to say that success uh, is the, is, is the Bible, right? That the Bible and success are equals. That when we come to Christ, we will be successful. We're going to attain a certain place in this earth. And if you don't, then you're not successful. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not saying that there aren't successful by this world standards. Come on, I want you to say that out loud so you believe me. By this world standards. All right, it's got to be, it's by their standards. But I'm not saying there aren't Christians that by this world standards, like the guy who created Hobby Lobby, is very successful. He's probably not too far off financially as Jay-Z, but did things God's way. But that, does that mean that, you know, that that means that because I'm not a billionaire, I haven't reached success in Christ? That's ridiculous. So the enemy will put a plan and a purpose as soon as you're born in motion in your life. And he'll start pushing you towards, you know, I don't know how it happened, but, you know, the right record producer and the right group of friends and so on. I'm sorry to pick, pick on Jay-Z. I don't know. He just came to the tip of my tongue today. I didn't write that down. But he's, you know, the epitome of success in that world. To come from the projects to become a billionaire doing what he loves, the world would say, and, and living out his dream. Illuminati. <clears throat> Didn't say that. Hey, he's the one who put it on his album, not me. He literally said it's the Illuminati. I'm not even conspiracy. He said that. He said it's real, and I'm in it. I'm just saying that there is a plan and a purpose from God for you, and there's a plan and purpose from the enemy. And so what happens is, is we get saved. And you have to understand this as Christians, that the moment you get saved, your plans may be on the same trajectory because uh, 
you didn't get too far off, or God's going to use some things. Or I've heard people who went to seven years of college and three years of internship after, and they completely drop everything. It was not God's plan and purpose for them at all, and they throw it all away and turn completely the opposite and go that direction. I've heard others that just the opposite, that had no schooling, no training, man, they were free and they were just going to have fun and, and that was their plan. And then when God turned them around, they became scholars. So I'm not going to give you a formula, but I want to tell you this today, that the moment you get saved, that's it. I just wanted to get that out there. It's not a formula. Don't get a picture of success of low or high. But what happens is, is that God's going to start to work. He's already been working on you since day one. You've just been rebellious. But now you're saying, okay, Lord, I submit to you. And he's going to start working in your life and working around your life to get you into the plan and purpose that you were designed from heaven's side for. And let me just get into this because I'm getting way, way, way ahead of myself. But we're just going to get into this. I love there's a story here. And, um, and it's in the book of Daniel chapter 3. You can turn there or you can look to the screen. How's everybody doing so far? We doing all right? All right, Daniel chapter 3. And it says, well, let's just uh, go right into it. We'll go right into verse 1. I'm just going to read most of this chapter here and just breeze through it, but I want to make some points. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, just very, very quick context. Israel had been removed from Egypt supernaturally, right? They had gone through many, many trials with God, and they had lost some but conquered some. But anyway, they, they established this amazing kingdom of Israel finally. God's promise to Abraham, it's established. They're set up. It's a kingdom. It's been expanded by David and then Solomon. And then what happens? Just like the rest of human nature, we say, thank you, God. Thanks for the blessing. Thanks for all the promises. I'm going to go do my own thing now. Right? That's human nature. And so anyway, he gives them so many chances, literally generations. I'm talking generations after generations of chances. Finally, that's enough. I have to punish you because I'm also just, I love you, but I'm also a just God. And he sends them to Babylon as a, a supernatural place of punishment. And uh, so here they are in Daniel. They're in Babylon. They're not in Israel anymore. This is not their homeland. This is uh, the epitome of being in the world. Everybody say they were in the world. And yet, we read in Daniel about Daniel himself being the title of this book, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Huh? It's Shishak, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> These four people, though, simultaneously, while they're in the world, and under judgment of in the world, they don't submit to this world. They're actually a picture of a modern Christian. They're a picture of what Jesus is going to do in the future, that even being thrown into the world, you don't have to be like the world. And so that's the context. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 says that King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
And then it says, and we're just going to go through till verse 7. We'll just read these quickly. He sent messengers, and he said, uh, we're going we're gonna to make a dedication, verse 3, to the statue. And all the officials came to the statue, and he says, and all races and, and nations, everyone here, I need you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. And he says, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, I want you to bow to the ground. Everybody say, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. In verse 6 and 7, it says, And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And verse 7 says, So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, there's actually so much to this, but I'm not going to do that to you today and make you sit here for three hours. But there's uh, incredible depth in this story. You can read it just on its surface. It has power. It's, if you read the story right through, right on the surface, there's power because there's going to be some normal people that defy the king's command uh, to trust God. And we're going to read those verses in a moment. But in, the, in some depth of it, because we have our whole Bible, right? We have our whole Bible. Everybody read your whole Bible, right? We don't just read. We don't, we don't have the cut and paste Bible, right? The pick and choose Bible, right? We have the whole Bible. And if God didn't want the whole Bible, then he wouldn't have preserved the whole thing. But we have Genesis to Revelation. And we actually find this picture, even all the way in Revelation, of Babylon really being a picture of the world. All right, so Babylon is the world, and uh, the fact that Babylon is in New York City scares me when we talk about the world, you know, the epitome of the world right there. I mean, New York City is a pretty good picture of the epitome of the world. Doesn't mean that it's evil in the sense that it exists there. It's just that the spirit of it, right, the me, myself, and I, and take, etc. that's the world. And that's not God's kingdom, is it? That's the devil's kingdom. That's the world. And so we are here in the world, and that's very clear that there's a picture that they're in the world. But also Babylon, it means confusion, and it means mixture. And it's because it was kind of like a melting pot, much like New York City, that there was, they had brought people when they conquered all these different lands. Uh, this is, you know, the... Uh, ends up being the Syrian Empire, finally the Roman Empire, but these empires, as they're conquering each other, right, they're bringing the people, they bring people back to their cities, and so that's kind of what Babylon was, so um, that's why it's every nation and all these different people from all, all over were going to worship this world system. And then the second thing that we can notice is that there was worship, there is a sound, and I don't want to get into the depth of it. I could really get into some deep things here, but you know that music has a rhythm, right? There is a rhythm. There's a, there is a beat, right? We, we operate to the beat of a different drum, but there's a rhythm, right? You know, when you get saved, you ever notice that you just seem a little out of whack with this world, 
right? It has a sound. It has a beat. It has a rhythm. And when we don't go with the rhythm of this world, right, it, it, it's, it's hard for us as Christians, isn't it, at first? I think the biggest shock is we get saved and we're like, man, Jesus is amazing. We have this honeymoon experience with him, and we know that eternity is set for us. But we're a little shocked because when we go back out into the world, the world still is the same. But now we're changing more and more and more. I've just been talking, talking to my cousin about that, how he's starting to hear it. He's hearing the language of this world is not the way that he thinks anymore. It sounds different, very different, and it eventually becomes irritation. It becomes like sandpaper to your spirit, doesn't it? To hear the things that this world loves, and it's just normal. They're not even, like when people got so upset about our president saying things about certain uh, you know, women. I was like, you guys are ridiculous. You guys talk about everybody in the most vulgar, disgusting way, completely normal. Comedy Central is normal. You know you're watching that, and then you got a problem with this guy saying some comments. So anyway, enough political stuff. But my point is, is that give me a break. That's the world. And so we come out of that, and we're, we don't, we're not, it it's instantly starts to become different, doesn't it? The sound, the feel, the world just starts to become different. We're, we're removed from it. The Lord supernaturally does something in our spirit, and, and we no longer go with the flow of this world. And that can be very, very difficult as a Christian because we don't know how to handle it at first. And even not just as a new believer, but as mature believers, when... Uh, the Lord starts to bring you to another level, and that's very interesting because it says, this is interesting because what's about to happen here, if you read one chapter over, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had just been promoted to a new level. So it's not just for a new believer, but as Christians, when God does something in your life, and He who has had God come to you, right, through His Word, or you just feel in your spirit, I can't talk that way anymore. I used to talk that way yesterday. I shouldn't talk that way anymore. It's not that even that you were saved and unsaved. Come on, people get weird about this, but this is, this is the reality. You're not saved by your works, but works are going to be the evidence. You can talk like a sailor and be saved. doesn't mean that God's approving of that. It's because he loves you. He's not saving your sailor mouth. He's saving you, and he's going to deal with it. Come on, say he's going to deal with it. But then he didn't deal with it on day one. You were in love with Jesus, and it was amazing, but now he starts to deal with things. And in fact, the longer you've been saved, now he comes and he's like, I don't like you listening to that music anymore. And you're like, that was fine before, and I wasn't talking like them anymore, but I could listen to them, and now I can't listen to it, now I can't talk like them. I don't want you going to those, those places anymore. And more and more and more, he'll start withdrawing you, and you're just going to start to become less and less like the world. Who has experienced that so far? In either a great way or a little way, that's what happens. And that is not God putting his boundaries or restrictions on you. That's a good thing. Everybody say that's a good thing. Because there's nothing in this world that's good for you. You know, every single thing in this world really ultimately will kill you. Uh, even the, the, the food we eat, the drinks we drink, I mean, all of it. Dawn is super, super healthy. And she's always trying to eat healthy things. And then she is, thinks she's eating something healthy and then finds out that this ingredient that they thought was healthy is no longer deemed healthy. 
and all of it, this whole world, this whole thing. But you know what? We can't get worried about that. Don't get bogged down by that. Don't get depressed by that. You're not meant to live here forever. We're eternal beings. We're meant to live with Christ in heaven forever and ever and ever. We're not meant to live on this earth. So who cares that it's all breaking down? We are not of this world. That's what I'm trying to say today. Is that making sense? Kind of, hopefully I'm still trying to stay on a path here, but I'm saying a bunch of different things along the sides. So hopefully you're getting some of that. And so just quickly, we're in the world, we're, but, but we're not of it. We, we, there's, there's a worship going on. There's a, there's a worship of self. There's a worship of me. There's a worship of, of what the world says you worship, and that's it. And if you don't worship what the world says you worship, you are weird. In fact, you're a bigot. You know, you're, 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 you're too rigid. You're, you know, all these different things, right? They have titles for us if we don't worship what they worship. But we don't listen to their music. I'm not talking about the type of music, right? We don't, we don't, we're different. So it says in verse 8, it says that some of the astrologers, and uh, your translation might say Chaldeans. If you have an older translation, New King James, etc., uh, you're going to see the word Chaldean, and the NLT translates it astrologer, which is uh, a better translation. You might know them as the Magi or the Stargazers, and this is very significant too. Are we doing all right? Am I giving you too much information, not enough preaching? You guys okay? This is very significant because we have a world system, and we have you know what the, the Magi, the Stargazers, the, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, you know what came from them? The horror scope. That's how it should be pronounced. The scope of horror. Okay? No Christian should ever, ever. Don't even look at it for fun. It's not funny. It's not a joke. I know it seems silly. You might think I'm overreacting, but I'm telling you, that there is, a, there is a plan for you in the stars. It's real. Psychics are real. Come on. It's just not from God. It's demonic. It's a demonic system. There is a system of this world, and if you obey its rules, if you go along with this world system, you'll be rewarded for it. That's why I brought up Jay-Z. If you submit to this system and you do what this world says, you will be rewarded for it. If you stand up against the system, immediately the devil says, this person used to be in my kingdom, and now Jesus has rescued them. And don't, I'm not trying to bring fear into your life. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus has you, just like Peter and Jesus on the water. Nothing to fear until Peter feared. Come on. Until Peter feared, there was nothing to fear, and Jesus still rescues him. So I'm not bringing any fear, but what's happened is, is now the enemy says, I had a plan and purpose for your life. And you're not following it anymore. And what you're going to begin to have is some friction. Everybody say some friction. And I'm going to get to the punchline of this sermon and wrap some things up. You're going to get to some, some friction here. When you reject the system, the star uh, prophecy for your life, and you, you reject that world system, I'm no longer of this world, and I'm just not going to be a duck in a row or be a sheep led to the slaughter, and I'm not going to just do what the world says is normal anymore. I'm going to turn the opposite way, and I'm going to follow Christ. Uh, some things begin to shake in your world. In fact, you may have noticed this, Christian, that even your own family uh, will point their finger at you. You've even lost family. And Jesus prophesied that. Jesus said, if you come to me, you might even lose husband, wife, children, houses, etc. Right? Who has experienced that when you came to Christ, that even your family, unfortunately, it's very sad. That's not funny. 
and, and we're praying for them and believing for them. We're not just like, well, you're going to hell, I'm going to heaven, right? We're like, Lord, thank you and praise you that you saved me, and now it's my goal to reach them as well, amen? But something began to happen, and even your family began to separate, because we're not of their system anymore. So this is very interesting. I could get more into that, but I just wanted to establish that because here we go. This is what's about to happen. It says that that system, it recognized. You realize that we don't war against flesh and blood. Who knows that? You're not warring against somebody in this earth. When somebody comes to yell, you ever have, you share the gospel with somebody and they, man, they unleash on you. That's not them. You can't get offended at them. That's why Jesus is literally being nailed to the cross. So is, uh, um, I have his name. It's there. Stephen is being stoned to death, and they both say the same thing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even though he's being crucified, and even though Stephen is being stoned, they don't hold it against the person. Because it's not the people, it's the spirit. There is a demonic spirit, the same devil who, who crucified Christ, wants to crucify you because now you have Christ within you. Now you are a light for the kingdom. Instantaneously, you come to Christ, and you are instantaneously changed. Amen? Who has experienced that moment with Jesus? If you haven't, today's your day. Come on. But something began to happen, so the astrology, they, they're the, the eyes, it's not the person. There was a spiritual thing that began to happen come on and their eyes the devil he notices i don't as tony tony in the back says the devil lost a good soldier when he got saved <laughs> the devil lost a good soldier when he got saved you know you were a good soldier for satan in the world you just did what he told you to do you didn't even know it when you were being selfish when you're thinking about you when you were cursing the person that was in front of you that you felt like should be going faster than you, right? You were working for Satan. You just didn't even know it. And so that's the picture here is that Satan is coming to, it says that they accused. It says that he, let's continue here. It says they informed on the Jews. And other translations says they, this word in the Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, actually means they accused, the accuser. He notices and he made an accusation and there is some things that are going to happen. So it says, and let's just continue into verse 9, it says, they say, long live the king, and let's just breeze through this. So it says, you issued a decree and they refused to worship they refuse to worship self. There are people, come on Christians, I'm preaching to you Christians today. There's a people in there and they're starting to change. Come on, this is the devil's eyes. And they begin to say there's some people that don't want to live like the world anymore. They refuse to worship themselves anymore. And they refuse to worship what the world says is normal anymore. And so it says in verse 11 that it says that the decree states that they must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But isn't that interesting that the devil is such a copycat? Let's think about this. We've got a system, just like we have a kingdom of God, we have a kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of God has a prophet who decrees God's word and decrees good things and some bad things sometimes. And the, the enemy has a kingdom, and he decrees some good things and some bad things. The good things aren't really good, but for this kingdom, they, they seem like they're good for a season. 
right? We know the end is destruction. And then it says that if you don't listen, you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace. What does that picture look like? If we don't worship God, uh, if we don't love God, if we don't put God first, uh, we could face, if we refuse to repent, the same exact thing that they were going to face, which is a blazing furnace, a furnace of hell. We're not worried about that today because we are believers, because our eternity is secure in Christ Jesus. But it's interesting that his kingdom, it tries to copycat, and he will try to threat, but he, his threats are not, they have no power. So let's continue here, and it says, uh, there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you've put in charge of the province of Babylon, and this is interesting too, um, that they had authority here. These guys were placed in authority. You know that as soon as you come to Christ, you have been placed in authority. That's really what the devil is so furious about, is that now, just like Jesus walked on the waters, the power of the water, it had no more power over him. This world doesn't have power over you. The world only has power over you when you give it to the devil. Every single time you come up against a person and you have a chance to fight or forgive, your human nature chooses to fight. God did not make you do that, and that does not any proof of you unsaved or saved. That's just proof that you have a free will and you chose to rebel against really what you know in your spirit, which is to forgive them, and you choose to fight them. And so, but there is an authority that we've been given, and so, uh, so something begins to happen. And this is just really what I feel like I needed to preach today. It was a huge, 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 huge setup. So I apologize if it was too much set up, but this is where I'm getting you, that you have been saved, you are not of this world, and you have been placed in a place of authority, Christian, but the devil is coming for you. Again, I don't want you to be afraid because who knows this story? Come on, who knows this story? There's nothing to be afraid of. It says they refuse to worship. It says they pay no attention to you. Come on, we don't pay attention to this world anymore. They refuse to serve your gods. And so just for sake of time, there's a lot more that can be said. He comes to them in verse 15 and he says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made. This is very significant. Christian, have you noticed that the moment that you've been promoted, whether it was your first salvation where the Lord came and got a hold of you, or the Lord's doing some things in you, and you know what? You've decided to listen to the Lord. I'm not going to talk like that anymore. Right? Who has noticed this? The very next moment, the devil comes right back to you and says, I'm going to give you one more chance to recant. Come on, who has had him come and say, listen, I can make things really difficult for you. Or I can make things really easy for you. Just, just, it's a lot easier. In fact, there was a young Christian I was mentoring for a season, and it's so sad. I don't say this in any form of pride, but it's, it's incredibly sad. Um, but he literally said to me, it's easier when I don't follow God, so I'm going to not follow him, in his own words. But it's easier if I don't. It's a lot easier if I just don't. Every time I pray, I feel like life gets harder. Every time I read the word, life gets harder. Every time I press into God, things get harder. Of course they are, because you have to understand that we are against the flow here. There is a current in this world, it's, and it's strong. Who's ever been in a really, like a raging river? Anybody ever been in one or at least a tidal wave pool? At a, at a, come on, at a slide park, 
right? Water park of some sort. The, the, um, uh, the immense pressure of this world is pushing against you. Of course you're going to feel pressure. Of course it's easier just to go with the flow. You go with the flow, you go to hell. Come on, we're not doing that, right? We're gonna, the Lord's with us. That's what this sermon series has been about. It's not you. It's not your strength. It's not your power. It's Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Not that I'm going to mind over matter, but he's going to take me one step of the way. And yes, the moment I choose to follow him, I'm going to, I'm going to be aware of the pressure of this world and the reality that, wow, I was just going with it and now I'm not. You will be aware of that and the devil will come to you and he will try to get you back. Come on, it doesn't matter what level you are at. Every single time you crest over another level with the Lord and you hit a peak with the Lord, and wow, I dealt with this and I dealt with that, and wow, Lord, look where we're at. Look what you've done in my life. The devil will come and try to offer you back. He did that with Jesus, right? Did that with Jesus and the three temptations to try to offer him the world back. And so, uh, long story short, this is where it ends up at verse 16. They replied, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. You know, I heard a preacher say this, and it's so true. Don't argue with the devil. You don't need to do that. You don't need to stand there and, and argue with the devil. You just say, this is what the word says. Here's what the word says. And you just start quoting the word. The Bible says this. The Bible says that I have nothing to fear. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Right? You just start to say, the Lord, he, he promised me that he will never leave me, never forsake me. You don't argue with the devil. You don't defend yourself. He said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. I love how they say it so matter of fact. He will rescue us from your power. Verse 18. Everybody say, but. I love this verse because this is really the epitome of faith. People don't like this verse. They think it's anti-faith. I think this is the epitome of faith. It's not faith in you. It's not faith in your strength. It's not faith in your words. The devil doesn't care what you say to him. You know what has power when you quote the word? Because he must submit to the word of God. Because the word is Christ, right? Christ is above, Satan below. You quote your words, who cares? What's he care? You quote the word of God, there's power in it. He's going to make you feel like he doesn't, he's not hearing it. He's going to make you feel like the word has no power. You don't worry about that. Let the fires come. Come on. I want you to say something out loud. You don't want to say it, but you need to say it. Let the fires come. I know you don't want to say it, but let them come. Because it says God's going to save me anyway. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Come on. Amen. We're never, ever going back. I don't care what you offer me. I don't care what you try to give me. This life, by the world standards, it might look like I'm a nobody. It might look like by the world that I have nothing. It might look like by the world standards that I have not achieved any goals, that I am a total loser, that I have not ever achieved a dream in my life. But I don't care what your perception of me is. All I know is that when this physical life is over, my 
physical body will be resurrected with the spiritual body that is already sitting with Christ forever and ever and ever. And every dream and vision that I could have ever imagined or, or messed up in this earth is already set forever and ever in Christ. That's what you say. It says that he threw them in the fire. Come on, Christian. Don't be surprised that the wind and the waves are there. Don't be surprised that there's still a race before you. Don't be surprised that you are thrown into the fires. If you are trying to live your Christian life dancing around the problems, I'm, I'm telling you, you will never, ever make it. Instead, you must hold on to Christ and go through the issue. Sometimes the Lord supernaturally pushes the problem aside. I've had him do it many more times than I could count. But maybe equally, possibly more times than I've been saved from the issue, he helped me through the issue. And so it says, it says that, the king was so angry, verse 22, he made the fire seven times hotter than normal, and the soldiers who threw him in got killed because it was so hot. Come on. You know, the enemy is furious. What you're feeling, come on, what you're feeling in this season, as we crossed over into 2020, some people in this church started dealing with stuff. And I, I could sense it in the spirit as people that aren't even here, but you started dealing with stuff. You started saying, devil, no more. I'm not going to serve your system anymore. I'm not going to talk about those people anymore. I'm not going to hold bitterness, and I'm not going to hold issues in my heart any longer. I'm going to get rid of that junk forever. I'm not going to hold those things anymore. And you know what? The enemy, he started heating up the fire seven times hotter ahead of you. He gets, he's furious that you have said, I'm not going to serve this world and serve you any longer, Satan. I'm going to serve my God. And so what's happened is, yes, the fires have been heated up. Don't be afraid of that fire. Don't be afraid of the, the trial that you're like, where did this thing come from? Where is this coming from all of a sudden? I, I feel like that God, almost God, like you're abandoning me and you need to know, go to your word. Don't go to your feelings and say, you know what? God didn't abandon them. He's not going to abandon me. That's why their story is written down. It's a story for them for eternity. If it wasn't written down, it's written down for you. You guys get that. That's why it was penned down. For us to read it and say, yes, Lord, I'm believing the same thing. And so it says that, verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and he exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we throw three men into that furnace? Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. Come on, Christian. You might still be in the fire, but the Lord's going to come into that place, even of trial and even of fire, and even with all the stuff going on around your life, and the devil's like, no, you're not going to be blessed by this world anymore because you decided to reject my plan. So the Jesus said, don't worry about his world and his plan. He comes into your situation and unbinds you in the situation. And that's what he's doing supernaturally right now. He brings them out, and it says in verse 27 that the fire had not touched them, and not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Amen. Amen. 
Man, what a word from the Lord today. The Lord is with us. I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you are with us. Lord, we thank you for your word. You never, ever leave us. You never forsake us. Your word says in John 17 that even though we are in this world, we are not of this world, but we have the power of your name, that you have protected us. You have put a seal upon us. Your word is in us. It goes before us, and you are our rear guard. You have called your angels to surround your people to protect us all the way into eternity. We thank you, God, for that promise. And we choose, as your believers, to not look at the things we feel, at our pains, our suffering, our struggle, or whatever is going on around us. Lord, instead, we say what they said, we will not serve any other God but you, no matter what comes, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord.